Warning, Mombies will discuss information regarding true crime or other topics that are spooky in nature. This may be offensive to some listeners. For more information on the potential trigger warnings in this episode, please review our show notes and be cautious when listening. I'm Beth. I'm Christina. And I'm Holly. And And we're we're the Mombies. That's a great question. Weird. Just just absolutely strange. How do you even do that? I feel like that's gotta mean something. 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 Hello, spooky humans. Welcome back to Mombies. I'm Beth. And I am Holly. And we are coming to you on a Wednesday this week because today is the start of Pride Month. Um, before we talk too much about that, Holly, how's it going? Great! About to have a surprise party at my house. Oh, yeah, that's right. For my sister. So yeah. that's going to be fun. She's going to be 40. 40. 40. I'm just going to blast 40s everywhere and just keep reminding her that she's fucking 40. <laughs> That's your job. <laughs> Next year, you get to do it to me. Remind me that I'm 40. You don't have to put 40s everywhere. Also got some time. Yeah, you have a minute. I'm only 36. You no, I'm not, I'm not 36 because I haven't turned 36 yet. Not for a couple more days. <laughs> what you got? Um, so I went on a field trip today. My, my oldest's first field trip to the zoo. And uh, it was terrible. <laughs> it was it was fun with with my oldest, but and the other like we had four kids, so it was two adults, me and another mom, whose name I don't remember now. We talked all day, but I did not actually Oops. get her name. Whoops. And then four kids. Four oh, girls. okay, that's pretty good. Yeah. So, so she was walking bad. around with you while they were like. Meh. Yeah, so we so so we were just walking around like. Also, don't forget that with the heat index today, it was fucking Satan's asshole. So it, uh, yes, it was so yes. hot. It was it was ridiculously hot. I'm burnt to shit um, because I didn't have sunblock because I'm. That's the so first together. thing I said when you called earlier. You, you were like, "Oh, I only just got done at the zoo," and I'm like, "Ew, <laughs> so hot." <laughs> Not my choice. Yeah. Uh, school said today. Yeah. So I'm not, I had to go. We didn't get any to have any of those. We didn't get any field trips. No? Nope. Oh. I don't know why. That's weird. For first grade, probably COVID, right? Last year would have been first grade. Yeah. So probably COVID. Yeah. All the weird stuff that we had going on. We're in two different school districts, so maybe that's it. But I, we did, yeah. they did do one in kindergarten. We went to the pumpkin patch. That was adorable. Oh, nice. But, oh, that's that's weird. They did one in kindergarten, not first grade. Well, because COVID, so I could understand that. Because oh. in kindergarten, it happened right before COVID. COVID was until, like, March at the <gasps> end of the you're school right. year. You're right. We you're went right. in October. I'm thinking it was preschool because mine was still in preschool. Yeah. And I'm forgetting that they're a grade behind. Yeah. I don't know why I'm forgetting that, but I guess they're the same age. It's easy to forget. Yeah. So, so we did that. So it was super. It was 93 degrees in St. Louis. Um which, if you've not been to St. Louis in the summertime, it don't. It's fucking terrible. <laughs> I don't recommend it. Not at all. Um, 
So, like I say, she had a blast. She did really well. She behaved well. She listened pretty well. Uh, and two of the other girls were good. One of them, someone should really put Belle on because she just kept walking off. And I was like, where in the fuck did that kid go? So I told the other mom, you know, it's not, it's one thing to lose your own kids. Yeah. But losing someone else's kids makes me a little bit nervous. So that was not fun. And there was like four other schools at minimum there. there like, That's so it. We're holding buses. hands. Oh, it was so bad. And we just kept going. We're sweaty handed like, the rest of the day. The whole day. I mean, you just yell on her name. Hey, get over here. What are you doing? So then like halfway through this one girl who was with us. Sorry, I'm about to talk shit about somebody else's kid. But holy fuck. She just starts like, oh, I'm dying. It's so hot. I'm dying. Yeah, me too, bitch. You're not dying. You're not. You weigh 40 pounds soaking wet. You're seven. I am an adult woman who weighs (laughs) over 250. So, um, yeah, you're not dying. I am dying. I can't fucking breathe. I'm walking up this goddamn hill. Move it. You're seven. So, So you're like, actually, no. I'm dying. <laughs> right. If I can do this, <laughs> shut the fuck up. That's that's what I was thinking. So 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 first, you know, it was just kind of like, okay, you know, she's whining, whatever. She's seven. Kids whine. And the other kids kind of whined a little bit. Obviously, the other mom's daughter was with us, so you could tell she would look at her like, don't you fucking say it. And that girl would just like, shut up. Mine was pretty good. She did it a little bit, but she was pretty good. So then we get to our zoo has this giant carousel. I don't know if every zoo has a carousel. I've only been to a couple. Um, it costs money, which I did not have. And I'm certainly not paying for four kids to go on right. the carousel anyway. And we had no time because we have four seven-year-olds with us. So you know how our timeline went. So this kid looks at me and was like, I'm going to go on the carousel. And I was like, we're not, we're not doing the carousel. You know, it's 93 degrees outside. We're going to go in the penguin house. It's nice and cold. And then we're going to head out. We're almost done. This kid looks at me and says, <clears throat> hold on, let me get prepared. <laughs> You're going to take me to the carousel right now. Um, I'm sorry. Were you talking to me? <laughs> who, who, who the fuck do you think you're talking to right now? I, I don't. I'd be like, bitch, you know what's going to happen is I'm about to turn around and walk away and you're going to get lost in the zoo and then somebody's going to kidnap you and then you're going to be on my, my murder podcast later. Bye. Right. So I don't, I don't know. Um, I handled it. I handled it okay. I did. T- I did you tell, didn't tell her. her she was going to be on her murder podcast. Nope. I didn't slap her. I did oh, no, really that was well. Good. I'm not advocating slapping children, but you guys all fucking know that you've wanted to slap at least one kid. So, uh, and I've wanted to slap more than one. So, um, no, I I looked at her and I very kindly said, "Oh, that's not how any of this works. Let's go." <laughs> She stayed away from me the rest of the time. Get on. Talked to the other mom who apparently was much nicer than me. So good for you, Sally. It was my, Sally. my fucking hot ass day at the zoo. Oh, oh my god! I'm sure I was. I was afraid, so I picked up Holly's husband uh, after he got off of work today, and I was really like, "This car probably smells," because I just was out in 93 degree weather. <laughs> walking from one end of the fucking zoo to the other i did take a shower before i came over here but i just was like i hope the whole car doesn't smell like fucking sweat or whatever it probably sweaty smells like. butthole in here <laughs> gets in smells like, like mm, smells like ass in smells here smells like swamp ass and this, and this <laughs> he still rode with me so i guess it wasn't it must be all the ass <laughs> you know, must have left the ass in the back <laughs> what is it 
room. What? <laughs> the ass in the back. Yeah, must be all the ass. I haven't had any complaints in the Punani department. High five for the clean Punani. Oh, that's the sweetest thing. Yeah, I was she's talking not... about how it smells. She's like, it smells I... like ass. She's like, oh, yeah. It must be the ass. I forgot about that part. That's a good movie. It's a real good one. Okay, yes. well, so that was some lighthearted fun. And now we're going to ruin your fucking life. So, um... Buckle up! Yeah, so, uh... <clears throat> back to the fact that today is the first day of Pride Month. If you don't know much about Pride Month, it's celebrated to honor the 1969 Stonewall Uprising in Manhattan, which Christina will be covering later this month, so I'm going to leave those details to her. But in honor of Pride Month, we wanted to bring awareness to cases that have affected the LGBTQ plus community. So we'll be bringing you five separate cases, one per week, detailing crimes that shook the community, and in some cases, truly changed the world. Uh, if any of the episodes are a two-part episode, I'm not sure yet because we're recording our first one today, uh, then you'll get both episodes the same week. So we'll kind of make sure you guys know when it's coming, but this month will be kind of a, a bonus, a special thing. Correct. So the first case that we're talking about absolutely changed the world as we knew it prior to the events of October of 1998. All true crime cases are rough. We talk about some gnarly shit on this podcast, and you guys have probably heard even worse stuff than we've talked about so far. But this is one that still breaks my heart to this day. Uh, I I do know the story well, uh, but I can promise that tears will be shed on today's episode. So I I apologize, or you're welcome. I don't know how you feel (sighs) about that. If you're just looking to be emotional, today's it. So Holly, are you ready for the story of Matt Shepard? No. I would like to leave the classroom. <laughs> Just kidding, I don't. But, um, but <laughs> this one hurts, so. I do know the story. I'm sure not full-fledged. Mostly stuff that you've shown me and I've watched and I'm already crushed. Right. So, so I actually I have to gear up. Even like uh, some other podcasts like Crime Junkie and Morbid covered it. And I have to like stop and take at least a few hours or sometimes a day before I can go listen to it to like gear myself up for it. So that's just where I am with this case. And we'll kind of talk about why I feel that way or why I think I feel that way toward the end. Okay. Cause I think I've figured it out finally. I never really understood, but before we get there, I guess we need to talk about what happened in case there are still people who don't know. So Matthew Wayne Shepard was born December 1st of 1976 in Casper, Wyoming to Dennis and Judy Shepard. Most of the world calls him Matthew, but from my research, it seems that he preferred to be called Matt, so that's what I'm going to call him. Okay. In 1981, Matt became a big brother when Logan was born. In the documentary, Matt Shepard is a friend of mine, Judy Shepard, his mom, says, quote, from the very beginning, they were completely opposite children. Logan is tall. Matt was very short. Logan, very athletic. Matt, not so much. Matt very much enjoyed the company of people. Logan, not so much. This is followed by a video of a young Logan saying, quote, the date is the 26th of March. My brother should be coming home tomorrow. The screen flashes to a photo of Matt and Logan is heard saying, quote, look, there's my brother. He's awesome. Oh, so fucking sweet. Um, his mother also shares another story about Matt in the documentary that just said so much about what the kind of kid he was. And she said, quote, he just loved people and he loved making people feel better. It's what made Matt, Matt. And when he was little, he started writing poems to the neighbors and he would leave them in their mailbox. 
Oh my God. Well, my dad was a postmaster and he told Matt it's really illegal to put things in people's mailbox without having put a stamp on it. So he decided he'd leave rocks instead. (laughs) So he'd find these pretty little rocks, gravel, whatever, and put them in thinking that they would appreciate that someone had thought to put rocks in their mailbox. Everybody in the neighborhood knew it was from Matt and that the intention was good. Cute. I would just keep a little bowl of mat rocks. Right? <laughs> so sweet. So in 1993, when Matt was 17, Dennis, his dad, was offered a job in, I hope I'm going to say this right, but I think it's Duran, Saudi Arabia, and the family relocated there. Sounds good. That's a fucking, whoa. Right? From from Wyoming, I think is where he's living. So uh, Matt was at the end of the 10th grade, and Logan was the end of 6th grade. In Saudi Arabia at the time, there were no American high schools. So everyone went to boarding school outside of Saudi Arabia after they finished ninth grade. Okay. Matt and Dennis chose, I think chose, I think it's called Tassis or Tassis, the boarding school in Lugano, Switzerland. So Matt is in Switzerland and his parents are in Saudi Arabia with his younger brother, which oh. is just wild at 17. Whoa. By myself. Right. Uh, and that, I, I'm 35. And I'd right. be like, I don't think so. <laughs> no, <laughs> Bring so it out. Uh, in 1995, Matt and some friends, so this is two years later, went on a school-organized trip to Morocco. Matt's group was the first group to travel outside of Europe on these little trips that they would take. And according to Gina Van Hoof, who said that they felt that Africa sounded far more interesting to visit than Europe. Okay. I don't disagree. Uh, the school had warned the group that traveling to Morocco might not be a good idea because of safety concerns. In Matt Shepard is a friend of mine, Matt's friend Kate Chill describes a night in Morocco that would change Matt's life. Matt had gone out alone, and as he walked back to the hotel, he was pulled into an alley by a group of six men. The men robbed and raped Matt. Around 2 a.m., Matt knocked on his friend's door and said, It's Matt. Let me in. Then suddenly they heard a scream that she said wasn't like anything else she'd ever heard before. So I'm guessing he was holding back how he was feeling and he said that and that's when it came out. Now that he's at the door and he feels like he's safe. and They opened the door and Matt was standing there with no shirt and no shoes. Kate grabbed him and they fell to the floor. He told his friends what happened as he continued to scream. Uh, Judy Shepard said that Matt never recovered from the attack. She described changes in Matt's posture. Instead of standing up straight, he would hunch his shoulders and shuffle his feet. His desire to do theater. He was a theater kid. And even his comfort level in large crowds. No. Matt left school after the attack in Morocco to be with his family, but returned in time for graduation. His friend, Michelle Hasway, who narrates the Matt Shepard is a Friend of Mine documentary, had been told what happened in Morocco by Kate. But Kate had sworn her to secrecy, so Matt had no idea that she knew. Michelle says that she, too, could see the changes in him. She said, quote, I could see that he had been broken. I wanted so badly to say something, but I couldn't even tell him I knew. I mean, what can you say? Oh, no. She goes on to say that she heard a rumor that Matt was gay about a year later, but Matt never told her or Kate. These were two of his closest friends in school. And you're thinking about, you have to remember what 
time we're living in. You yeah. know, this is what the late eighties. This is ninety eight. Ninety eight. Oh well, ninety seven. I guess this uh, was. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, back then. I mean, I was I think fifteen in ninety eight. So I know when I was in high school, you couldn't you couldn't tell people you were gay. Right. There were whispers. Kids got picked on. There was no coming out. Yeah. People didn't talk about that. Um, in the fall of that year, Matt attended Catawba College in North Carolina, so he came back to the United States. And it was then that he came out to his family, who, according to the things in the documentary, uh, they seem to have been supportive of him. Judy says that she asked what took him so long to share that with her, and he was kind of surprised that she already knew. And Dennis says he just said, okay, now what was that important thing you wanted to tell me? Oh, I like whenever you, I see the little things where it's like the notes where the parents like overheard the kid's conversation with their boyfriend or girlfriend or whatever. And um, they're like, oh, uh, I heard, overheard your conversation. Like, don't forget bread. Like some fucking like just bloop right, right over it. And I'm always like, oh, I'm going to be, I'm going to be that mom. Plus right. I'm already going to know, but. Um, he was only in North Carolina for a brief time and his friend Julie Anderson says that he never really seemed to settle. He moved around a bit and she feels that he was struggling. After that, he moved back to Casper, Wyoming to attend Casper Community College. In a letter to his friend Zaina, he said, quote, I am so nervous about moving yet so excited. A chance to lead a full life, working, living, and loving. Nightlife, friends, and good health is what I hope for. Oh. He also described himself as lonely. Mm. Which before this, he really wasn't because he was the person that was talks to everyone. Yeah. And he was kind of a social Not that butterfly. you can't be lonely and be a social butterfly, you know, but. Yeah. Um, I, I, I thought I I saw in, in one of the documentaries or I read that in Casper, he met uh, his close friend, Romaine Patterson, but. I'm not sure. Then I couldn't find it again. So I'm not sure if he met her there or if he met her. Uh, he moved to Denver after this. So I'm not sure where he met her. But I think I saw in Casper. I at least wrote it. So okay. hopefully that's correct. Uh, he moved to Denver, Colorado with her. I don't think they lived together. But I think maybe he moved there to be closer to her. Or maybe she was moving there and he moved too. Okay. Uh, and he lived there for about a year. Romaine said that everyone fought over who would get to date him first when he got there. And she said, quote, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Uh, but she also said that Matt struggled with depression to the point that they would go long time sometimes without seeing him. She described rotted food sitting out on the floor in his apartment mm. and a radiator leak that he just took his clothes and threw them on top of the water. So at this time, are his parents still out of the country or did... Yes, okay. his parents are still in Saudi Arabia. So is his younger brother. Okay. Um, so he's here without his family. He's dealing with it's this... a lot of baggage to be carrying around by yourself. Absolutely. And then... Obviously, coming to grips with being gay mm-hmm. uh, and in a time when you really couldn't be gay. I mean, obviously, people were gay, but you couldn't be open about being gay. So then in 1998, he moved to Laramie, Wyoming to attend the University of Wyoming. He joined the LGBTQ group on campus, which I did not find a name for, and he began making friends. Nice. He even told one friend that he felt safe in Laramie. Oh. Here we go, guys. On October 6th of 1998, Matt attended a meeting for the LGBTQ group he was a part of to plan Gay Awareness Week at the university. Afterward, he decided he wasn't ready to go home. He tried to convince friends to go out with him, but no one was up for a night out. So instead, he went to the Fireside Bar alone. 
According to bartender Matt Galloway, Matt came in around 8 or 9 p.m. Galloway said it wasn't unusual for Matt to come in alone and sit at the bar to have a few beers. Matt chatted with the bartender a bit and spoke to one other man at some point in the evening who would later say that he felt like Matt had flirted with him and it made him angry. I didn't see anything else about that. I just found it in one newspaper article. So that's all I have about it. Galloway said around 11-ish, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson came in. The men were local boys. They were roofers. When they came in, they were dirty, Galloway said, suggesting that they looked like they'd been working. They ordered a pitcher of beer. And they paid in dimes and nickels, which oh. made them very memorable to the bartender. I'm sure. They were playing pool at the opposite end of the bar from Matt. So Matt's up front sitting at the bar, and they're back in the back corner playing pool. Excuse me. Sorry about that. Um, and then Matt got up and started mingling and talking to people at some point. And somewhere in the night, Galloway noticed that the three men were talking to each other at the bar where Matt had been sitting. And he thought it was strange because they hadn't been acting as though they knew each other prior to this point. They hadn't interacted when Henderson and McKinney came up to the bar ordering their pitcher where Matt was sitting. So he just thought it it seemed odd that they were all together. Yeah. According to the Casper Star Tribune, others in the bar had differing stories about how Matt met McKinney and Henderson. Some said Matt had hit on them. Others said he'd offered to help pay their tab. Okay, just randomly. Just I, that's that's all it said. Yeah. So, um, to give you a little bit of a background, Matt, very well dressed kid. Obviously, you know his dad works um, on like oil rigs in in Saudi Arabia. I think they probably had a little bit of money. Okay. Uh, Henderson and McKinney come from the poor side of town. Don't have a lot of money. In and out of trouble with the law the, most of their lives. And if he's been in there several times before, I mean, he probably knows that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and so at some point in the evening, Galloway saw the three men leave the bar together. So this is where the story gets real rough. We're going to discuss the details of the violent attack on Matt Shepard. If you don't know it yet, it's it's bad. So if you need to skip ahead, now's the time to do so. When police questioned Aaron McKinney, he told them that a kid wanted a ride home. He used uh, uh, at least one slur. So I'm just going to tell you, you know, which which word it is without saying the word because I don't I don't fucking talk like that. But uh, so when police questioned Aaron, he told them a kid wanted a ride home. And when he was asked what the kid looked like, McKinney said, like uh he said like a queer i don't know i mean obviously he was using it as a slur but now that's a term that people use to describe themselves so obviously he was saying it that way and he said yeah like a and he used the f word okay you know according to aaron mckinney's story the men had gone into the bathroom at the fireside after being hit on by matt and learning he was gay and decided amongst themselves that matt would be a good person to rob what the hell did you have to do with each other i don't know but I, I do think, you know, it makes sense that they would decide to rob him because, as I said, he was a well-dressed kid in a town where there's a pretty decent wealth disparity. Okay. Um, and I, I read a lot of articles that talked about the wealth disparity in town, talked about Henderson and McKinney coming from the poor side of town, kind of their background and things like that. Uh, so what comes next in McKinney's story has changed more than once. 
I'm going to kind of give you the, I guess, generally accepted version, but of course, people always have opinions on that stuff. So the only people that really know what happened are the three people who were there that night. Right. So what comes next in McKinney's story, oh, sorry, I already said that, (laughs) has changed more than once. One story is that the two men came back from the bathroom and they pretended to be gay to get Matt to leave with them. Another is that they simply offered Matt a ride home. Okay. McKinney went on to say that in the truck, Matt grabbed his leg and slid his hand up like he was going to grab McKinney's balls. And McKinney lost it. Okay. Another version is that it looked like he was reaching for McKinney's leg. McKinney told Matt, Plus, hi, if you just told him that you were gay and then you're mad at him, stupid fuck. So stupid, right? If you pretended like you're gay, yeah, of course he thinks you're fucking gay. That's a trick. Okay. P.S. Matt was way out of their league. Just throwing that out there. Anyway. Um, So McKinney told Matt, quote, we're not gay and you're getting jacked. Henderson was driving, and McKinney began beating Matt. He demanded Matt's wallet, which it sounds like was given to him immediately, and it had only $20 in it and some credit cards. The men pulled over. One thing I said was I read was in a prairie, and then I read some other stuff that said it was like near a subdivision that was being built. Okay. Um, this other book that I'll talk about in a little bit made it sound like it's like right next to a subdivision, kind of almost out in the open. Uh, the generally accepted again is that it was in a prairie or right close to a being built subdivision. <clears throat> so they yanked Matt out of the truck. Matt's watch even came off in the struggle. Matt tried to escape, but Henderson and McKinney caught him and they tied him to a fence. Here we go, guys. Um, McKinney pistol whipped Matt multiple times with the butt of a 357 Magnum. Matt was hit 18 times in his head and his face. He suffered four skull fractures and a broken nose. The final blow was behind his right ear. It crushed his skull in, crushed his brain stem, and tore his ear away. Oh. McKinney and Henderson then stole Matt's shoes, and they left him there to die. I want to note, before we talk any further about them and what happened that McKinney's girlfriend and his father told the Casper Star Tribune on October 13, 1998 that McKinney did not intend to kill Matt. He just wanted to make Matt pay for flirting with McKinney in front of his friends. Ew. Ew. How do you even say that out loud and not just punch your own self in the face? Right. Fucking piece of shit. So McKinney's father later suggested that the only reason the beating even appeared on the national news was that Matt was gay. It has nothing to do with the fact that your son just savagely beat someone for no fucking reason. It's because, right, over a person. Even if it has nothing to do with him being gay, over 20 fucking dollars. Yeah. You already had the wallet. Right. Just get out. Right. And then you just drive away after you've kicked him out. And P.S., listen to the way you're talking about Matt. (laughs) you're you're (sighs) anyway so uh he felt that his son was made to look bad by the media but i feel confident that it was his son's actions that made him look i would say um beating another human being to death 
That's what makes you look bad. Stealing his fucking shoes and leaving him there alone. Yeah. That's what makes you look bad. Yeah, fuck. Your son was a piece of shit. That's why he looks bad. He's he's just fucking trash. Anyway, um, so Henderson and McKinney plan to head to Matthew's house to rob it. But on the way, they got into an altercation with two other men. Emilio Morales and Jeremy Herrera. The only information that I really found, most things will just kind of say there was another altercation and that's pretty much it. Uh, I found one article that said that Morales and Herrera claimed that McKinney and Henderson started shouting obscenities at them on a street corner unprovoked. Okay. I'm like, how do they even if they're driving? (laughs) Okay. Get the stop sign or a stoplight. Got to run our fucking mouths. I guess so, yeah. Don't mind the fact that we just fucking killed somebody. Right. I guess we're just on our... Well, at that point, they just think they've left him. Yeah. We're we're just on our high Mm -hmm. of testosterone and stupidity, I guess. Uh, Morales was quoted as saying, quote, next thing I knew, Jeremy yelled, he's got a gun. I looked over and he, McKinney, hit me on the head. Jeremy ran up and hit him with a stick and we took off. The head wound Morales received from McKinney required 21 staples. Oh my gosh. So, you know, he's a, he's a real fucking winner. Henderson ended up with a cut lip. And then we'll talk about McKinney uh, here soon. Uh, so police were called to the scene to investigate a tire slashing, but I couldn't, again, couldn't find anything about whether or not that's related to this fight. Okay. Other than it, it it's happening at the same time mm-hmm. in the same area. So I'm not sure if that's what happened, if maybe they got a hole in their tire and blamed these guys somehow or something. I, I don't fucking know, but when the police arrived, they saw Henderson and McKinney run in complete opposite directions, abandoning McKinney's truck. Henderson was caught about a mile from the original scene, and McKinney managed to escape. Henderson told police they'd been attacked by two men. He was treated at Ivinson Memorial Hospital there in Laramie. For his, and he had like a pretty good size, probably, probably an inch, maybe a little less. Okay. On his lip, where you could like see the, the stitches and stuff. Uh, police searched McKinney's truck, where they found the blood-soaked 357, Matt's shoes, and Matt's credit card. Oh, my God. Now, keep in mind, at this point, police have no idea that Matt's missing. Right. So his ID may be strange, maybe not. Who knows what's going on? Henderson, who is pretty much painted like he's innocent. He didn't really have much to do with it. He was the driver. He just tied up Matt up when McKinney said to, you know, they, they make it seem yeah. like he didn't do as much. McKinney was really the bad guy, if you will. But I feel differently about that, and I'm going to tell you why right now. So he was questioned about the gun, which was not loaded, and the officer let him know there would be more questions if anyone had been shot. Henderson laughed and told the officer, quote, I guarantee you won't find anyone with a bullet in him. So he obviously cared a lot Mm. about what they just did. Mm. You're a poop head. Right. Fucking garbage humans. 18 hours after the attack... 18 hours, around 6 p.m. on October 7th, uh, Aaron Kreifels, I don't know if I pronounced that right, if not, I'm sorry, was riding his bike and fell off of it. It was then that he saw what he thought was a scarecrow on the ground next to a fence. Even after seeing the chest moving, he still thought it was a dummy with some kind of mechanism making it move. It was only when he saw Matt's hair that he realized he was looking at a human being. Oh my gosh. Uh, he ran no. to the nearest house and he called the police. Aww. 
he, uh, in the Laramie Project, the actor playing him talks about how he was like yelling at him to wake up or to answer him and, you know, couldn't get anything. I'm, I'm assuming that was before he called the police. Okay. Uh, Sheriff's Deputy Reggie Flutie responded to the scene. She got as close as she could in her car, but had to get out and run to Matt because of the terrain. So I feel like that kind of lends some credence to the idea that this was a prairie or not, you know, not right outside of a subdivision. Right, Maybe right. building a subdivision, but... Uh, sorry, I just lost my, lost my place there. Uh, Matt was covered in dried blood, lying on his back, with his arms tied behind his back, and then tethered to the fence. The only spots on his face that weren't covered in blood were two trails down his cheeks where his tears had fallen. Mm. Asked by Michelle Hasway whether he looked like the pictures that Flutie had seen of him, she responded that he didn't. Oh. Quote, he just looked terribly deformed. My God. Matt was so small at five foot two inches and a little over 100 pounds that Flutie thought he was a 13 or 14 year old boy. He was 21 years old. Oh, my God. I just think about how small that is mm-hmm. and that you felt like you needed to do this to someone who wasn't even big enough to threaten you. I think and that's probably, probably the, why, they cho- why they chose him. Yeah, oh, yeah for sure. they're cowards. Yeah. Matt was rushed to Ivinson Memorial Hospital in Laramie, but the doctors quickly realized that his injuries were out of sight of their capabilities to treat. Matt was then sent to Poudre Valley Hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. A doctor at Ivinson later stated that the injuries Matt had sustained were the kind of thing you would expect to see on someone that was in a car crash at 80 miles an hour. Oh, my. Rather than the kind of injuries that one person inflicts on another person. How's everybody doing? Oh, my God. My eyes are all welled up, just so you guys know, so. We're getting to the part where I will sell my eyes out. When police arrived at the hospital, they noticed the truck from the night before in the parking lot. What? McKinney had gone in to get his head wound from the altercation looked at. Detective Rob Debris conducted his first interview with Aaron McKinney and girlfriend Kristen Price there at Ivinson Memorial. Holy shit. McKinney's first words to the officer were, quote, did you get the guys who did this to me? What did you say? At this point, do the police even fucking know anything? No, they're just... Well, they've got Matt's ID Okay, from that's McKinney's true. truck. It, that's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They probably don't know that the shoes are Matt's. They've got this 357. That's pretty fast, so I don't know if they realize for sure that that's where the blood is from is from Matt. Um, Matt's in the hospital. And... This truck was at the scene of something else, so I'm guessing they're kind of starting to put, at least put the pieces mm-hmm. together. Um, during his this initial interview, McKinney claimed that his truck had been stolen mm. while he and Russell were at a different bar, not Fireside. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> shut up. Fucking ridiculous. You're a terrible liar. McKinney was later transferred to Poudre Valley Hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. The same hospital where Matt Shepard lay in a coma. <gasps> no. And I, I remember seeing, I feel like it was in Laramie Project, and I couldn't find it. But I was and his parents have no fucking clue. 
nope. oh my god his parents are in another fucking country yeah oh We're no talk about that next so uh, there was somewhere and i think it was in the laramie no. project uh i don't remember if it was the doctor probably was uh mentioned or no it wasn't because he was from ivinson i don't know anyway somebody mentioned i remember seeing it that you know they're down the hallway taking care of matt who's in a coma and this other kid comes in with his head wound and obviously they're giving him the same care they're giving Matt, not realizing that this is the kid that fucking did this to this other kid. You know, of course they realize that later. Whoa. <sighs> it's a good thing they realize it later because quite frankly, whatever, you know, um, oath and stuff you take to be a doctor, I'd have fucking killed him. <laughs> we'll just give him to we'll just give him to Swango. Right? There you Make go. it slow, Swango. <laughs> what the fuck? So it was Ooh, 5 a.m., I think in Wyoming. <laughs> that wasn't really super clear. But uh, I think it was 5 a.m. in Wyoming when the shepherds got the phone call from the hospital that Matt had been hurt and they weren't sure if he would survive. Oh! And they are in Saudi Arabia. They believed at first that he'd been in a car accident because it just wasn't really clear what had happened. Uh, but then a family member called and told them that Matt was all over the news. They immediately booked their 20-hour trip from no. Saudi Arabia no. to rush to Matt's side. No. Mm-mm. No. When they arrived at the hospital, they learned more details about Matt's injuries. Matt's skull was so severely crushed that doctors couldn't operate on him. He was suffering from hypothermia from being left outside in the cold and was on life support. The doctors didn't know how much longer Matt would live. When the shepherds went into the room, he was so swollen and covered in bandages that the only recognizable part of their son was his braces. Mm. I can't even imagine how much that hurt. Let me take a drink so I uh, don't sob into the microphone. Okay, I can't read because of the tears in my eyes. Sorry, guys. Later that day... October 8th, Russell Henderson, his girlfriend, Chastity Pasley, I think is how you say it, and McKinney's girlfriend, Kristen Price, were picked up by police. The girls admitted to covering up the beating and told what they knew. Uh, They had been asked, "Mm," I say that in the next paragraph. I keep getting ahead of myself because I forget that I put things. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Uh, They also found, oh, wait, sorry. Police obtained warrants and found Russell's bloody shoes in the shed at Pasley's mother's house. They also found Matthew's wallet and driver's license, along with Aaron's bloody clothes, at McKinney and Price's house. Mm. When Aaron was released from the hospital, he was immediately taken into custody. Oh, my God. Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson were charged with kidnapping, aggravated robbery, and attempted murder. Chastity Pasley and Kristen Price were also arrested and charged as accessories after the fact. Oh, my God. At the request of McKinney and Henderson, the women had given fake alibis for their boyfriend's whereabouts the night of the attack. They also disposed of Russell Henderson's bloody clothes. Pasley proclaimed her innocence in court in the beginning, but eventually she pled guilty without any sort of plea bargain. Price pled not guilty. Oof. Oof. They don't talk about the girlfriends a whole lot, so that was an interesting thing to find. Um, I didn't really know that part. Did they go to jail? Did they go to prison? I assume. Especially the one yeah, that pled well, guilty. 
We'll, yeah, we'll get there. Okay. <laughs> I can't wait. Um, so Matt's parents ultimately had to make a decision. Leave Matt on life support where he would remain in a vegetative state or remove life support. They struggled with whether this would affect his case. Uh, I don't remember exactly what their line of reasoning was there, but they did learn from the detectives that it would not affect his case. Judy ended up asking Matt's friend, Walt Bolden, to go in and talk to Matt and tell him it was time to let go. I'm going to cry again. Sorry, guys. Uh, Bolden went in to see Matt and told him it was time. He let Matt know that he wouldn't be forgotten, that good was going to come out of what had happened to him. He asked Matt not to make his parents have to make this decision. Bolden said, quote, as hard as that was, it meant an awful lot to me that Judy asked me to do it. At 12.53 a.m. that night, October 12, 1998, Matt died. <laughs> you guys, there's a lot of tears in this room right now. I'm sure you can hear that, but there's a lot happening here. Oh, I can't handle that. Yeah, this is a rough one. They all hurt, but ooh. Poudre Valley Hospital spokesperson, Rulan Stacy, I'm probably messing up all these names, guys. I'm so sorry. Made the announcement on the news, and he visibly choked up when he read Judy's words to the world. Uh, she said, quote, Please tell everybody who's listening to go home. Give your kids a hug and don't let a day go by without telling them that you love them. (laughs) Stacy would go on to receive ridiculous hate-filled letters and emails. No. Oh, you ready to go? Here we go. Yo, anger tears. Oh, yeah, here we go. Let's find these fucking people. Yo, asshole, you weepy little swine. Convey to your little staff that it was a F word you were crying about on national TV. Do you cry for the more natural that die? What? Yeah. And here's the other one that I really liked. Oh my God, no. Quote, do you cry like a baby on TV for all your patients or just the F words? Um, what is wrong with people? Right. I, I, would, I would like to say, I can't imagine that if you feel that way about human beings... That you're uh, still listening to our podcast, if you did. But if you are, and you don't see what's wrong with those, you can go ahead and hit stop and unfollow right now. Leave. And if you have feelings about that, and you would like to talk to us about it, you can write those feelings down on a piece of paper, and then fold it up, and then stuff it up your ass. That's that's how we feel about that, just so you guys And then know. eat it. That's right. Just so we're clear. Okay. I'm like shaking it. Uh, I'm so fucking mad that people talk like that about human beings. What the fuck is wrong with you? Uh, <sighs> okay. On October 16th, 1998, Judy and Dennis Shepard laid their son to rest. It was snowing and raining outside. And the two churches and the park that were set up for the ceremony were all completely full. The paper said that 800 to 1,000 people attended. Oh. Rather than the quiet peaceful, tear-filled type of ceremony that most of us have attended at least once, Matthew's family was faced with the absolute drudges of humanity. Protesters from the now well-known Westboro Baptist Church stood outside Mm. holding signs with messages such as AIDS cures the F word, 
God hates the F word and Matt in hell, which doesn't even fucking make sense. If you show up at my son's funeral, I'll fucking burn you all down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. If there was going to be a time, that would be the time. Yeah. I'm going to get arrested because I'm going to stuff a sign up somebody's ass. I'm fucking kill everybody. Uh, How can you, even if you fucking believe that banana sandwich nonsense, to show up at a place like that? At a time like that and in protest. That's not the motherfucking time. Not at all. Not appropriate. No one fucking wants you. Go away. Go home. Fuck that. And sit and talk to yourself. Those poor parents. Um, After the funeral, it was learned that Westboro planned to demonstrate outside the trial as well. Because they don't understand that they're not fucking wanted. Uh, According to Romaine Patterson, who we talked about earlier... Someone needed to stand up to Reverend Fred Phelps, who is thankfully dead now. Oh, darn. Real sad about that. Uh, In The Laramie Project, an HBO movie made from real interviews with people from Laramie, Romaine is played by the amazingly talented Christina Ricci. She says, quote, this 21-year-old little lesbian is going to walk the line with him. (sighs) Which just gives me goosebumps. Romaine and friends planned their own counter-demonstration called Angel Action, where they made angel wings that were seven feet high with ten-foot wingspans and stood between Westboro and the media to block out the hate. Oh. Uh, I believe I read that they also sang Amazing Grace so that people couldn't hear his big old fucking mouth. So, so fucking awesome. Love that. They have done that at other other events as well where Westboro was there, which I think is so fucking cool. Um, Romaine is the shit. So, um... Chastity Pasley was sentenced to 15 to 24 months in prison after pleading guilty to the accessory charge. What? Yeah. She was only an accessory, though. And I also feel like... But had they been found sooner? If we look at who these these men are. Now, I don't know a whole lot about them outside of this, but let's look at what they did. It's... Entirely possible in my mind, giving these girls the benefit of the doubt. These are young. I think they were both 19 okay, or something like that. It's entirely possible that they were afraid of these men, that they were afraid of what they would do, that they were threatened. That doesn't make it right, but it at least might make it a little easier to go, okay, well, these girls weren't, you know, they didn't know what they were fucking doing. Okay. Um, when you have someone who does what he, what I, what he, I say he, because again, McKinney is painted to be the ultimate bad guy, but what they did to Matt, I think it's entirely possible that they were abusers. I think there were, there were things that talked about McKinney being abu- an abuser. Uh, I don't, I didn't see that about Henderson okay. necessarily, but trying to give them the benefit of the doubt because I don't know, but Okay. But fuck Russell Henderson and Aaron McKinney. That's what I say about that. All right. And maybe the girls too. I don't know a whole lot about them, but like I say, it's possible. So, uh, Kristen Price's charge was reduced because she proved to be a valuable witness in the prosecution of Aaron McKinney. I couldn't find anything that said what she had to say or how she helped or anything, but apparently she did help. She was sentenced to 180 days in jail. 
but was credited for 120 days of time served following the arrest, and the other 60 days were suspended. So she served, what is that, four months? Okay. And that's it. So. Seems appropriate. Not. Right. So I don't, I don't know. Sarcasm. Couldn't find any of the documents to tell me, you know, more information about what happened during the trial. There's not a whole lot talked about in that, so. When Matthew died, that changed the charges against Henderson and McKinney. So they were still charged with kidnapping and aggravated robbery, but that attempted murder charge now got upgraded to first-degree murder. First-degree? First-degree murder. Oh. We're not in New York anymore. We're in Wyoming now. Mm -hmm. Uh, So Russell Henderson took a plea deal, agreeing to plead guilty to avoid the death penalty. His grandmother spoke at his sentencing hearing and asked that Russell's sentence of two life terms be served concurrently instead of consecutively. Which is ridiculous. I hate that about life sentences. Like, you have a life sentence, but you're only 19, so you, you'll get out. You'll have lots of life. Right. You can life have... means life. Mean to right. fucking life. Means you never get out. Two life sentences. Whose life sentence? Can't live two lives. Who lives for 25 years? Right. What? <laughs> That's not life. Right. Life should, sentences should be 100 years. Right. Should so be, even if should you're a fucking baby murderer, you're only life. two years old, you're going to die. It's, it doesn't even have to be a certain amount of time. It's <laughs> for your life, asshole. If until you live you until die. you're 25, then that's your life sentence. And if you live to be 125, that's yeah. your life yeah. sentence. Because you're a fucking piece of shit. Because you literally fucking beat a human being to death and left him in the middle of a field. Fuck you. That you you're going to be there for your whole life. Your whole fucking life. So... His grandmother, who now, I understand that she's his grandmother and that she loves her grandson. And I can't imagine how fucking hard that would be reconciling who you know with what this person did and everything else. But this just really fucking pisses me off. She asked that the judge not take Russell out of their lives forever. Excuse me. See, no, and no, no, and I know that we say that, you can't know what you're going to say, but I'll tell you, if one of my kids is a fucking murderer, I'm going to love my kid, and I'm going to show up at fucking visitation day and do whatever the fuck I got to do, but I ain't going to sit up there and throw you no fucking pity party. Right. I'm not going to disrespect somebody else's family with that fucking bullshit. Right. No. And, I mean, you don't take him out of our lives forever. He literally took someone out of his family's lives forever he can't call his family they can't tell him they love him or hear his voice or see his face so fuck henderson not not his grandma i get it i understand that that would be incredibly hard but oh my god are you fucking kidding me no think before you speak Mm -hmm. Uh, henderson also spoke stating that he was sorry for his actions the judge didn't believe him And sentenced him to two life sentences to be served consecutively, exactly like they should be. That's right. Sorry. I know you guys want to hear my opinion. I hope you do, because you're going to hear it. Because here it comes. Because here it is. So at at Aaron McKinney's sentencing hearing, McKinney accepted a plea deal that had been brokered by the Shepherds right before testimony was going to begin to determine whether or not he would get the death penalty. 
So he waited until the last fucking minute. I was like, yep, you know what? Can't do it. Bye. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. That's right. right. I am a real big fat piece of shit. Right. I thought you were bluffing. I'm a pussy. Yeah. Fuck it. I'll take it. <clears throat> the deal allowed McKinney to avoid the death penalty, giving him two life sentences to be, conser- to be served consecutively, just like Russell Henderson. The deal also bars him from making any appeals. Oh, yeah. Good. Good job, Dennis and Judy. You guys, this is fucking it. Oh, fuck, here we go. Okay, I'm going to try really hard to read this next part in a way that you guys can understand what I'm saying. Um, But this pretty much gets me every fucking time. So um, without further ado, Dennis Shepard's speech at this hearing was one of the most poignant and heartbreaking things I have ever heard. The full speech is much longer than what I'm about to read, but it was shortened in the Laramie Project. I will be reading the shortened version here because the other version is real long. Uh, I tried to find audio of Dennis reading the statement himself, but all of the versions online, you can search for videos like on YouTube, they're all, all of the audio is from the movie Laramie Project. Uh, We don't have permission to use that, so I'm just going to read it to you guys. So, um... Terry Kinney is the one who reads it on all of those videos, and he's the one who played Dennis Shepard in the movie. So, oh, here come the waterworks. Are you ready? Mm-mm. Holly's already crying. I was <laughs> She's like, fuck, fuck, fuck. Okay, here we go. My son Matthew did not look like a winner. He was rather uncoordinated and wore braces from the age of 13 until the day he died. However, in his all-too-brief life, he proved that he was a winner. On October 6th, 1998, my son tried to show the world that he could win again. On October 12th, 1998, my firstborn son and my hero lost. On October 12th, 1998, my firstborn son and my hero died. 50 days before his 22nd birthday. I keep wondering the same thing that I did when I first saw him in the hospital. What would he have become? How could he have changed his piece of the world to make it better? Matt officially died in a hospital in Fort Collins, Colorado. He actually died on the outskirts of Laramie, tied to a fence. You, Mr. McKinney, with your friend, Mr. Henderson, left him there by himself. But he was not alone. There were his lifelong friends with him, friends that he had grown up with. You're probably wondering who those friends were. First, he had the beautiful night sky and the same stars and moon that we used to see through a telescope. Then he had the daylight and the sun to shine on him. And through it all, he was breathing in the scent of the pine trees from the snowy range. He heard the wind, the ever-present Wyoming wind for the last time. He had one more friend with him. He had God. And I feel better knowing he wasn't alone. Matt's beating, hospitalization, and funeral focused worldwide attention on hate. Good is coming out of evil. People have said enough is enough. I miss my son, but I am proud to be able to say that he was my son. You guys, this is my favorite part. Judy has been quoted as being against the death penalty. It has been stated that Matt was against the death penalty. 
Both of these statements are wrong. I too believe in the death penalty. I would like nothing better than to see you die, Mr. McKinney. However, this is the time to begin the healing process. To show mercy to someone who refused to show any mercy. Mr. McKinney, I am going to grant you life as hard as it is to do because of Matthew. Every time you celebrate Christmas, a birthday, the 4th of July, remember that Matt isn't. Every time you wake up in your prison cell, remember you had the opportunity and the ability to stop your actions that night. You robbed me of something very precious and I will never forgive you for that. Mr. McKinney, I give you life in the memory of someone who no longer lives. May you have a long life and may you thank Matthew every day for it. I made it. And if you guys want to hear that, you can hear it online. It's probably even better when he says it. Um, It might have um, less snot. I can't, and I have no tissue, guys, so I'm literally just wiping my snot on my sweater. <laughs> it definitely has, has less snot in the movie. <laughs> I can't. Sorry, there's a lot of sniffing. And... I would hope that I could be so... No, I don't. Fuck you. Death penalty right. all the way. I think the You're amount, out. the kind of humans oh. that they are to be able to say something like that is fucking unimaginable to be that merciful on someone who doesn't fucking deserve any of that my favorite part in the movie is when he turns and looks at Aaron McKinney and I just really hope that Dennis Shepard did that and that fucker shit in his pants when he looked at him and said I would love nothing more than to see you die really really hope that he just shit himself we need to change the laws like fine okay i'm glad that that dad gave this man grace and blah blah he's a good guy um you should be able to punch a motherfucker right in their fucking throat 100 percent. i should get a free fucking shot 100 percent. should be able to fucking hit him in the head i'm gonna poke you in the eyeball with this fucking needle empty 357 yeah let me i should get i should get a free free blow so after the fact journalist steven jimenez came to laramie in february of 2000 to research a screenplay on matt's death Uh, a number of townsfolk believe that the murder was a drug deal gone bad Okay. As the court heard that Shepard, like many a student, had dabbled, dabbled with drugs. However, Sheriff O'Malley, who worked on the case, has maintained that this theory is not supported by the evidence. Um, Jimenez went on to release a book in 2013, which I did feel like it was important to at least mention. Uh, there are some interesting theories in the book, and it's certainly possible that there was more to Matt's murder than simply his... Uh, being homosexual or his the way he was dressed you know it's certainly possible that all of those things went into play um it's impossible for anyone to know what was going through the minds of russell henderson and aaron mckinney when they took matt out of there except for the two of them right um in my own opinion 
the suggestion uh, made, uh, at least in um, some of the articles about the book and things like that, that the murder had nothing to do with Matt being gay seems pretty fucking ridiculous. Especially knowing that McKinney was clearly homophobic just based on the language he used in his interrogation alone. Absolutely. Uh, I'm not going to debate all the evidence or theories here. I'm not interested in doing it. I don't really, not really buying into it. He has purported evidence. I didn't get very far in the book because I felt like there were a lot of conclusions that were uh, jumped to in my own personal opinion. That's my opinion, not stating it as a fact. So if you are interested, you can search for him and check out his book. And that's as much as I'm going to say about that issue. So I did want to address it. I felt like it was important. If you'd like to read another book, Matt's mom also wrote a book. I'd like Uh, to read that. I would would recommend reading that book, but that's just me. Uh, So I'd like to end the episode talking a little bit about Matt. Uh, Actress Kristen Johnson spoke at a rally for Matt after his death. In case you don't know who Kristen Johnson is, I guess I should say that she was in um, Third Rock from the Sun. Okay. She's fucking fabulous. I love her. You'd recognize her if you saw her. Oh, she was on um, at least one episode of Modern Family. Okay. She stayed with Cameron and Mitch. I didn't really watch And that. slept on their couch. Oh, my God. She's so funny. <laughs> anyway, so uh, she was saying, uh, quote, something about Matthew Shepard. I just somehow feel like I don't know that I would have loved him. Oh. Does anybody else feel that way? I do. And I think... That describes what I've been unable to put into words in the years since I first heard about Matt's death. I was 15 when Matt was murdered, and I can't really remember if I understood what happened to him at that time, or if it was my first time I viewed The Laramie Project, which wasn't released until 2002, so four years later, that really kind of clued me in on what happened with him. What I can say is, as I said before, if another podcast covers his story, I have to like gear myself up to listen when Crime Junkie covered his story, it just said Matt in the name of the episode. It didn't say Matt Shepard. And as soon as she started talking about Matt Shepard and I recognized it, I had to stop it. And it took me 24 hours before I could listen because I had to get ready for mm-hmm. it. Um, and, of course, as I said, all true crime is upsetting. You know, we talk about people being harmed, people losing their kids, people doing all kinds of terrible things. And I've cried through lots of episodes. I do pretty well on ours except for today, but other people's episodes. Uh, But Matt's story is the only one that just fucking guts me. And I never really understood why, but I think that's it. I feel like he was someone I would have loved. I think Mm -hmm. we would have been friends. You would have been friends. I think so. Maybe we're friends We can still be... I'm just saying that. (laughs) Just saying, we can still be friends. Matt, we are friends. Right. I hope that we're doing you proud. Uh, According to a story in the Casper Star Tribune about the 20-year anniversary of Matt's death, Michelle Hosway, that's the friend that did the documentary, described Matt as someone who, much like his father, commanded attention. He was a social butterfly and the kind of person that would become a friend to anyone who needed one. Michelle said, quote, his spirit was never broken throughout all of these traumatic events. He went back to Wyoming and he really thought that was going to be a step in the right direction for him, a step closer to home. In Matt's journals, he described himself this way. I am 20. I am sensitive and caring. 
Friends from school described Matt as the kid that fit into all of the cliques, was friends with kids of all genders and ages, made everyone feel comfortable, and probably my favorite was someone that found the uniqueness in each person and brought it out of them. Oh. He was even broken. What? Go ahead, sorry. Said I am broken. (laughs) Yeah. Me too. Uh, He was even voted friendliest in his class. Of course he was. Of course he was. And Matt Shepard was my friend. Michelle Hosway again. Spoke with a campus priest from the University of Wyoming. I just really love what he had to say. She started to cry. Um, She was kind of asking about Russell Henderson, Aaron McKinney, and asking, you know, he had spoken to them, asking if they were good people, that kind of a thing. And um, she told him when she was crying that she just wished she could heal faster. And he responded, quote, I don't I don't know what you mean by healing. I think that God put you and Matthew as friends. There are a lot of risks in being friends with someone. You are feeling the risk right now and the pain you feel. I hope you never lose being angry at this. Maybe his friends, their most important mission is to remind the world to be angry at that. We must not ever heal from that. Never. I thought that was really good. <clears throat> So maybe that means we are friends because we're reminding people to be pissed off about what happened. That's right. Um, So Matt's death changed the world. I wish he'd gotten the chance to make his mark in a very different manner. I wish we were all seeing him as a politician, standing up for what's right, and making our part of the world safe for for LGBTQ plus people. I wish he were an actor, speaking out on that platform to fight for those who don't have a platform to fight for themselves. Unfortunately... Those opportunities were stolen from him and from the rest of us. But that doesn't negate that Matt changed the world. He made so many people open their eyes to the fear that LGBTQ plus people faced and in some cases still face every single day. Even Sheriff Dave O'Malley, who was the lead investigator on Matt's case, said in 2018 that he had been very homophobic before Matt's death. He said, quote, I would be the first person that would tell a joke about gay Americans... And uh, the word, the F word, rolled off my tongue very easily. And when I got involved in the investigation, I was forced to interact with Matthew's friends, many of which were gay and lesbian. And I very quickly started to lose my ignorance. Thought that was very big of him. Uh-huh. To admit and To admit say, that he yeah. wrong, yeah. Adults and that gives Matt the power. Absolutely. One major change that has been pretty slow to happen but is happening is the banning of the lgbtq plus panic defense Uh, according to lgbtqbar.org quote the lgbtq plus panic defense strategy is a legal strategy that asks a jury to find that a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity or expression is to blame for a defendant's violent reaction including murder It is not a freestanding defense to criminal liability, but rather a legal tactic used to bolster other defenses. When a perpetrator uses an LGBTQ plus panic defense, they are claiming that a victim's sexual orientation or gender identity not only explains, but excuses a loss of self-control and the subsequent assault. By fully or partially acquitting the perpetrators of crimes against LGBTQ plus victims, this defense implies that LGBTQ plus lives are worth less than others. So that's what they have to say about it. And obviously, this is what I think I forgot to note it in there. This is what they tried to use in this case. He hit on him, and he just McKinney just lost his shit because oh, Matt hit on him, which is fucking bullshit. <sighs> you don't get to get 
pissed off. How many women have been hit on in a bar and haven't murdered the guy just because he hit on them? You don't get to just fucking kill somebody because they hit on you. And that's not the real fucking reason. You're just a piece of shit. You're just a piece of shit. Uh, so California was the first to oh, and in in um, Aaron McKinney and Russell Henderson's case, the judge wouldn't let them and banned them from trying to use that kind of a defense. So way to go, fantastic judge. But you know, it's not it's not being banned nearly enough. So California was the first to ban the LGBTQ plus panic defense. That's so much to say <laughs> in 2014, and since it has been banned in 17 states. Which sounds like a lot until you realize how many fucking states it's not been banned. Right. In. You can still use that defense today in 2022. <laughs> 24 years. Well, after come on, Nancy. guys. The other states that it's been banned in, aside from California, are Illinois, Rhode Island, Nevada, Connecticut, Maine, Hawaii, New York, New Jersey, Washington, Colorado. Uh, District of Columbia, so Washington, D.C., Virginia, Vermont, Oregon, Maryland, and New Mexico. If you didn't hear your state, hello, Missourians. Yeah, oh, my gosh. And you want to take action, lgbtqbar.org has links to contact your state representatives and urge them to put an end to this dangerous and fucking ridiculous legal strategy. Do it. We're going to do it. Let's do it. We'll do it together. Lastly, if you want to be a part of the change that started in October of 1998, you can also check out the Matthew Shepard Foundation's website at www.matthewshepard.org. The foundation was started by Matt's parents in the wake of his death and was instrumental in the passing of the Matthew Shepard and James Byrd Jr. Hate Crimes Prevention Act in 2009, which expands the 1969 federal hate crimes law, which included crimes motivated by race, color, religion, sex, or natural or national origin to include crimes motivated by a person's actual or perceived gender, sexual orientation, gender identity, or disability. The Matthew Shepard Foundation has also provided hate crimes prevention training to law enforcement in 45 cities since 2017. That, dear spooky humans, is the case of Matthew Shepard. Holly, what do you think? You ruined me. You told me that last time. You can't tell me that again. I already ruined you. Sure can. You ruined me more. Now I'm now I'm now I'm really I'm burnt. That's an extra crispy ruined. Oh. Alright, so how about how about a joke? <laughs> okay. I do own the rights to this joke because my eight-year-old wrote his own joke. Yes! Because I've been telling him that I've been telling jokes and the podcast, so he comes up to me the other day and he's like, Mom, I wrote a joke. Or he told me the joke, and I was like, oh my god, that's so good, where'd you hear that? And he was like, well, I wrote it, I just wrote it. I'm like, what? Okay. So I was like, I'm gonna put it, I'm gonna put it in my podcast. So he got so freaking excited. And then tonight when we were gonna do it, he was like, Are you gonna tell my joke today? I'm like, I'm gonna fucking tell your joke today. <laughs> okay. What does a bee say when you enter a haunted house? I don't know. <laughs> Beware. It is scary in there. <laughs> Good. Thank you. And so after he said this, he's like, Mom, get it beware. And then he's like, and it rhymes. Because it said beware. And 
fucking scary in there at that rhyme. So I'm like, oh my god, you're so, so cute. I'm fucking putting put it on there every time. It's all your jokes. So adorable. So cute. Okay. Um, as always, if you want to see pictures from today's episode, you can find those on Instagram at Mombies Horror and Facebook Mombies Horror Podcast. For fun videos, you can find us on TikTok at Mombies Horror. If you have case suggestions you'd like to send in, you can do that uh, Mombies Horror at gmail.com. And if you want to be a part of the Mombies community, you can do so on the Mombies Discord. And finally, if you don't want to wait until Thursdays for new episodes and you do want access to bonus episodes and other goodies, which will grow as we do, become a patron. You can do that on Patreon and we're just Mombies Horror on there. All your money. Give it. Give it. Give it up. Thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Sweet dreams, spookies.